0: Welcome to the Sword and Staff. I'm one of your hosts, Josh Robinson, and joining me today as always is my co-host, Richie Brock. And on today's episode, Richie and I are going to be discussing Halloween, paganism, and the lordship of Christ over time. And so, originally, we were planning on releasing this episode as a narrated minisode. But Richie talked me into doing a oh. discussion episode on this topic. So we haven't really planned it out. So right. so it's kind of on the fly in some way. So that I think that probably is going to make it a little funnier, honestly.
1: I mean, at least I'm a good influence for once. Not trying to talk you into something
0: sketchy. Yeah, usually you're trying to talk me into something sketchy. So, uh, I think it's going to make this episode a little bit funner because uh, I wrote an article last year on Halloween. The article is on our blog at medium.com backslash sword uh, or the order of sword and staff. And the article is called Christians and Halloween, the Lordship of Christ over the seasons. And so uh, one of the things that we do typically – is we typically, with blog posts that we write, they typically get uh, recorded and released as what we call mini sods. And so we were going to do that originally. We decided not to do that just because it's Halloween. <laughs> well, it's Halloween's at the end of the week, which uh, it's on Sunday, right? It's Friday now. Yeah. So we wanted to go ahead and just have a discussion on it because we thought that it would be a, probably a little bit more helpful. I mean, uh,
1: when we reposted the blog like recently yeah kind of the backlash we got from it there we definitely needed to do an episode on it yeah there's
0: a little bit of there is a couple comments here and there it's like no halloween's pagan yeah. you know that kind of thing halloween's
1: uh satanic high holiday yeah it's
0: a satanic high holiday you know that kind of thing and so yeah we just thought it'd be fun to have a conversation on that and uh just kind of see where it goes uh hopefully it's helpful <laughs> I
1: mean,
0: we'll give it a shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, what? here's here's kind of my plan for the structure of this episode. So, I'm going to actually read uh, sections of the article that I wrote last year. After I read it, we'll just talk and discuss and see what comes from there. Um, we can pick parts of whatever it is that I read, and uh, we can just pick certain parts and talk about it and dive fuller into that, or maybe add on to it or something like that. So we're we're literally like structuring this as we go right now. So you guys are a part of that. So, all right. So I'll go ahead and read the introduction to the article. And so it says, is Halloween just a continuation of Samhain? Now, some of you who've read this article, it looks like that may say Samhain or Samhain. It's not Samhain. Right. It's actually pronounced Samhain. So uh, is Halloween just a continuation of Samhain? Are Christians accidental pagans by participating in things such as trick-or-treating and dressing in costume? Should Christians partake in celebrating Halloween? These types of questions are questions that I have been receiving more and more the longer I'm in the ministry. Christians seem to be truly confused on the topic of Halloween. Usually around this time every year, I share a short article called Concerning Halloween by James B. Jordan. So if you guys never had read that, you, you should go read that, because that was actually my first introduction into this topic that we're going to talk about today. Excellent, excellent article. Written by a man that I respect and reference a lot in this show. Um, his book, Through New Eyes, was revolutionary for me. Anyway, but uh, it says I have always appreciated Jordan's brief reasoned defense of why Christians can consider celebrating Halloween. However, this year I wanted to take a stab at writing my own uh, that is a little more contextual. To the questions and the objections that I have received. I also wanted to engage with some more recent things that I've come across over the years as well. So that's the introduction. And I still yet think that Christians are truly confused on the topic of Halloween.
1: Oh, without a doubt. And proven even more so in the past few weeks for me.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And so, all right. So here's the second section or the first section proper on Salwin. So to begin, we must answer the question, is Halloween just a continuation of the Pagan Harvest Festival, Samhain? So the the short answer is no. (laughs) It is not a continuation of Samhain. It says Samhain was, so, and Richie, you coming out of paganism. I was
1: going to say, coming from somebody that's actually celebrated Samhain, no, it's
0: not. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. You could speak to that a little bit more than I could. Um, so it says, and we can, I think this will be interesting to dive into this part right here, because yeah. some people may not know what Samhain is. But it says, Samhain was an ancient festival with Celtic origins that marked the end of the harvest year and welcomed in the dark half of the year. It was traditionally celebrated from October 31st to November 1st. It was believed by the ancient Celts that during this season, the point uh, or the veil between the seen and the unseen realms became thinner. And because of this thinning, that meant that the spirits could easily cross between the two realms and can enter into our world. Right. All right. So it said the ancient Celts felt the need to please the spirits that crossed over in order to ensure that their families and their livestock did not die during the harsh coming winter. The Celts would offer up food and drinks for the spirit and occasionally an animal sacrifice Uh, to appease them as well. It was also believed that the souls of the departed were believed to revisit their homes, seeking hospitality. And so, in some cases, a place setting of food and drink was put on the dining table in in anticipation of the visit, and then mumming or wearing disguises were part of the festival and involved people going door-to-door in costume or disguise, reciting verse in exchange for food. While it's clear that Samhain and Halloween share at least some connection points, such as the dates and emphasis on disguises or costumes and harvest decoration, that's really about all that they have in common. Right. And there is nothing inherently evil about those things. I mean, with that, you could,
1: you could literally then link Samhain to every fall festival around the world. Yeah, right. I mean, every culture or, has a fall festival around that time. Or you
0: could link Samhain to just putting up harvest decorations. Right. exactly. <laughs> right. So it says, no one celebrating Halloween is celebrating for the purpose of welcoming in the dark half of the year. Nor... Are they making sacrifices to appease spirits because of the metaphysical belief that the veil between the seen and the unseen realms extend? So that's the first section. So anything there that stands out to you as um, someone who was a, a practicing pagan at one point in their life? I
1: mean, I never did, like... Animal sacrifices or anything like that, but right. when we celebrated Samhain, yeah, it started uh in the evening on uh, on October thirty first, yeah. and you lit a bonfire and you fed the bonfire all night, and the bonfire acted as a safe space to give you a place to interact with the spirits of the dead and the spiritual beings that were out and about on that night. But the whole point of it being two de- a two day celebration from. Uh, it really, from October into November is the passing of life into death, mm. from the last final harvest into the ce- the season of death, and yeah, you know, yeah, so I mean, the season of
0: death being the winter, right, coming yeah. right? yeah, okay, that's interesting. Didn't mean to cut you off if you got more to say, go go for it. <laughs>
1: well, you're fine. yeah um, but yeah, salmon the way we celebrated it, was a lot more like our Thanksgiving. Yeah. Than anything to do with Halloween.
0: So that's really interesting because from what I look
1: at. I mean, it literally just looked like it was a feast day. It was the celebrating the final harvest. Pretty much just like Thanksgiving.
0: Yeah. So that's what I was about to say. The more that I have dug into this, the more that I have realized that it looked a lot more like Thanksgiving than it probably did Halloween. And... You know, there, obviously, there's some points of connection, which we'll talk about a little bit more, like with the mumming and stuff like that. Yeah. But um, for the most part, it is a harvest festival. Right. right? And that's the point of <clears throat> Samhain. Yeah. yeah. Um, Also, um, Dr. Michael Heiser has done a podcast on Samhain and Halloween on his podcast um, called Paranormal. They don't update it very regularly, um, but... The episode that they did was really interesting because it dove into some of the um, some of the Celtic worldview, which touches on some of the things that we've talked about, like with the Tuatha De Danann and uh, you know some of the spiritual beings and uh, Irish mythology and that kind of thing. So it's really interesting the episode that they did on it. But um, Dr. Heiser actually, or maybe it was Heiser, or maybe it was somebody else in the podcast. Maybe it was Doug Van Dorn. I can't. I can't remember. But one of them actually thinks that Samhain could actually be a pagan appropriation of something that was previously Christian. Right. Which is an interesting Idiot. proposition to think yeah. about. Because, and here's why. I think that we maybe talked about this in the episode that we did, where we talked about the Tuatha De Dan and stuff like that. So, if we didn't, I can't remember.
1: I'm thinking we touched on it at some point. So It sounds familiar. So... Okay,
0: so here's kind of the myth. So the myth is that the, the, uh, that land, the, the Celtic islands, was settled by the granddaughter of Noah. Yeah. Okay? And so it's settled by her his granddaughter, um, who comes and kind of brings true religion in some ways to this land. And then after that, the pagans kind of take and appropriate this true worldview and kind of twist it and distort it and that's how you end up with like the tuatha de dan and and the Fomorians, who are these water spirits so there's major connection points between the celtic mythology and the biblical story uh, with noah and the the nephilim and you know the flood and all that kind of stuff so um So people talk all the time about Halloween being an appropriation of Samhain, whenever there may actually be the possibility that Samhain is actually an appropriation of the Christian story that was brought to that area and settled by the descendants of Noah. So really interesting proposition. That's a little bit out of my wheelhouse to dive in further. Um, But I would recommend going and checking out that paranormal episode that Dr. Heiser and did with others because they mentioned it there. And I thought that that was really interesting. So not something you ever hear. Right. Yeah. So, all right. So now we'll move on to the next section, which is on, which is on all saints. Hallows Eve. Okay. So then if Halloween, as we know it today, isn't necessarily a continuation of Samhain, then where does it find its origins? The answer surprisingly is with old mother church. And that links to a video done uh, by uh, tch, 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 uh, Glenn Shriver. Um, he does a, uh, a poetic video called Halloween Trick or Treat that's on YouTube. I link to it in the, uh, in the article for those who are reading it. Excellent video. Um, but it says, The answer, surprisingly, is with Old Mother Church. Halloween was never a pagan festival. Halloween was never a pagan festival. Right. Ever. <laughs> so, so, for those of you who think that it's a satanic high holiday, sorry, it wasn't. I mean, never was. In
1: the of my time in paganism, I never even thought of Halloween as being part of that sphere.
0: No. Uh, and we're going to get into that a little bit more in this section.
1: And it's interesting now, thinking back, I never really celebrated Halloween as a pagan. I celebrated Samhain, but in my mind, they were completely different.
0: Yeah. And... So we're going to talk about this a little bit more in this section, but Halloween specifically found its origins in the church. Halloween did not exist prior to it being a church holy day, which is really the preparation for All Saints Day on November the first. So you can kind of think about it this way: you've got Christmas Eve, then you've got Christmas, right? You've got the uh, you've got Holy Saturday, you've got Easter Sunday. Halloween is that preparation day before the big day, which is All Saints Day. And you can even see that in the name, right? The the name is Halloween, which is a combining of All Saints Hallows Eve. It's this hallowed evening preparing for the, the Saints Day, the next day where we remember the victorious dead in Christ. So... Yeah, for those who think that it's a pagan holiday, sorry. Like even the name denotes that it's actually a holy day that was designed by the church. Right. And we'll talk some. I'm actually writing a book on how the church has the authority to, um, to declare holy days. And the reason why is because we are the sons of God, right? Romans eight. Paul says that. Um, we have been united to Christ and because we have been united to Christ who is the son of God we are adopted into the family of God and we become sons of God that's Paul's logic in Romans 8 and in the Old Testament in the Hebrew Bible we see that the sons of God are associated with what? the sun, moon, and stars and what do the sun, moon, and stars do? well Moses says on the fourth day of creation, that God fixes them in the heavens, in the firmament, and they're there to be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years, that whole thing. So they're timekeepers, right? Now, the interesting thing is, is uh, later on, we, we also learn in Job 38, 7 that these timekeepers, these sons of God, right, that they fall. Uh, how is it they fall? Well, Genesis 6. They go after strange flesh, right? They take the daughters of men, That whole thing. Well, as the biblical story goes on, we see that God doesn't just. um, The story doesn't end there. God replaces these fallen sons of God with new stars, new people who are going to be sons of God. So, in the story of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, what is it that God promises to Abraham? You're going to have descendants as numerous as the stars. Well, whenever Abraham's um, descendants begin to be born, and specifically in the Joseph story, I think it's in Genesis 37. Um, we see people t- depicted as sun, moon, and stars. So Joseph has a dream, right? So this is a descendant of Abraham. This is his one of his great-great-grandsons, you know, on down the line here. Um, but he has a dream, and in the dream he see he's got 12 brothers who are the patriarchs of the 12 tribes of Israel. Um, and then his, his father is Jacob, whose name is changed to Israel, his mo- and he's his mother. So in the dream, he has, there are 12 stars and there's a sun and a moon and they're all bowing to him. So what's, so we learn in scripture that this dream, what's going on here is his brothers are depicted as the stars. And actually in, in, uh, Jewish, uh, the Jewish views, uh, view of views on astronomy, not astrology, but on astronomy, the 12 constellations are related to the 12 tribes of Israel and if you actually go into yeah. synagogues in Jesus' day, which are still out there that you can go and visit that have been uncovered you know, with archaeology and that kind of stuff, there's actually, um, if you go into the back of the synagogues, there's actually the, the constellations in the back of them. Why? Because it related to the 12 tribes of Israel.
1: And we actually have an episode coming up in December yeah. on just yeah. that.
0: Yeah, we're going to talk about that a little bit more in December. <clears throat> but anyway, um, so, point is the descendants of Abraham are pictured as the sun, moon, and stars. Why? Because they replaced the fallen sons of God who fell in Genesis 6. Israel in Exodus 4 is actually called God's son. Now, New Testament logic, we learn that the church is grafted into Israel, okay? So Paul in in Romans 11 says that we Gentiles have been grafted into the olive tree. In Ephesians 2 he says that Jesus Christ has torn down the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile, and he's created in himself one new man. Okay, so that means that the so that also touches a little bit on uh, Israel's calendar. So Israel Israel gets to um, because they're the sun, moon, and stars who have replaced the fallen sun, moon, and stars, the sons of God. Um, They get to keep time. And that's what they did with their calendar, like with their their seven festivals. You know, you had Pentecost. You had uh, Feast of Booths. You had the Passover. You had the Day of Atonement. um, You had the Feast of Unleavened Bread. You know, there was a couple more there that you had, too. But basically what they were doing is they were ruling over time. Because they are the sun, moon, and stars. They are the descendants of Abraham. They actually even added holidays in, or holy days in, which most people don't know. But Hanukkah was not originally given by God to Israel. They actually decreed that themselves. Hanukkah actually comes from the intertestamental period, whenever Israel uh, went to war with the Syrians and Antiochus Epiphanes who desecrated, uh, you know, uh, I think it was swine. Like, he desecrated the temple by offering up, like, swine, I think, in the temple. Um, Anyway, Hanukkah, or the Festival of Lights, was not originally given by God. It was actually um, declared by the person who was ruling over uh, it, during the, in the Maccabean revolt, and the interesting thing is is that we actually learn in the scriptures that Jesus actually celebrated the Festival of light. So apparently, he thought it was legitimate, even though like God didn't give yeah, it, and yeah. it was decri- now. Why would he think that? Well, it's because Israel's is the Sun, Moon, and Stars. That's a part of the role. Okay, so okay, so I said that to say this. Come back to this. Um, we are grafted into Israel. Jesus has torn down in Himself the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile, and created in Himself one new man. So Israel is no longer; it is no longer a ethnically Jewish nation. It is now a nation cons, uh, consisting of both Jew and Gentile, right? And so, because of that, the church being grafted in, the church now has the authority, being the sons of God and the Sun, Moon, and Stars, we're the light of the world, right? We now have the authority to rule over time, and so that's some of the reason. Now, like I said, I'm writing a book on this. That's a little bit of the logic that I'm going to get into in the book, so you need to stay tuned for that, but that's the reason why church holidays are legitimate, is because we're the sun, moon, and stars. God has given to us, as the sons of God, the authority to be uh, timekeepers, so um, so that's the reason why it's it's legitimate for Old Mother Church to decree Halloween to be a holy day, right? So anyway, um, so that's a little bit of what I was going to add to that section. Um, like I said, I'm writing a whole book on this, yeah. and I've got the first chapter de- uh, done. If you're wanting to read that first chapter, you need to become a patron at our at, go to our Patreon. It's actually dropped there, or join the Sword and Staff Facebook group because we also dropped it there as well. So any of, those, uh, any of you guys who are interested in a preview of that, so cover some of what I said um, there in that section. But uh, anyway, so, uh, But anyway, so to get back on track here, Halloween was never a pagan festival. It was always a distinctly Christian holiday. Indeed, even the name Halloween is a contraction of All Hallows' Eve which was the night before All Saints Day. Right? So Stephen Wedgeworth, um, he wrote an article called Halloween, Its Creation and Recreation, brilliantly, uh, brilliantly notes this in further detail in his article. He writes, Halloween, as its name should make clear, is a distinctively Christian genealogy. Nicholas Rogers, in his book, Halloween, From Pagan Ritual to Party Night, a t- title more sensational than its text, explains, Sao and this is important. This is really, really important. He says, Samhain did not offer much in the way of actual ritual practices. Most of these developed in conjunction with the medieval holy days of All Souls and All Saints Day. The name Halloween is... As is well known, a contraction of All Saints' Hallows, of All Hallows' Eve, the night before All Saints' Day. But we have to take into account the series of All Hallows' Eve, All Saints' Day, and All Souls' Day to form the entire picture. Each of these days is, in slightly different ways, celebrated the Christian departed and established the memorialization of the dead as a key part of Halloween. So, Basically, what Wedgworth is saying there, and what um, Nicholas Rogers, who wrote the book on Halloween from Pagan Ritual to Party Night, is saying, is that um, Wynn actually doesn't offer much in the way of actual ritual practices. And so, I've said recently, and I've said before, <laughs> that paganism is basically fanfic. Right. And basically, yeah. what I mean by that is, there's whenever you go back into a lot of a lot of this knowledge has been lost. Like, there's not, like, there is not some kind of textbook out there on how to celebrate Salwin. Like, it's what we have today is basically reconstructed versions of that. So, that's what I mean by it's fanfic. It's basically people going in and adding their own tweaks to it. Like, you know, for one person, you know, it may be mumming. For another person, it may be a bonfire or, you know, that kind of thing. And the reason why it's different across different cultures is because we don't have some sort of ancient record of how Salwin was celebrated. Right. So people have to go in and kind of fill in the blanks.
1: It's all personal preference and pretty much speculation at this point.
0: Yeah. And so basically what Wedgeworth is saying um, is that... um, hold on a second. Basically what he's saying is that um, a lot of the practice um, that's going on today... He says most of these developed in conjunction with the medieval hol- holy days of All Souls and All Saints Day. So basically... He's saying that a lot of the Samhain practices that people think are pagan are actually appropriations of medieval All-Saints and All-Souls Day practices. Right. So very similar to what Heiser is saying. Now, Heiser's taking it back and saying that the entire Samhain economy and enterprise basically is an appropriation of the Noahic tradition. But um, Wedgeworth is saying and uh, Rogers is saying that most Samhain practices, as we know them today, which have been reconstructed, are uh, taking from medieval Halloween practices, which I think is fascinating. I think it's absolutely fascinating.
1: It really is, yeah.
0: So, uh, to go on here, not only are Samhain and Halloween different in terms of origins, Samhain being of pagan origins, which is, yeah, anyway, um, and Halloween being of ecclesiastical origins, but also the intention, and you spoke to this a little bit, the intention behind the practices on the days are different as well. Again, while it's clear that Samhain and Halloween share at least some connection points, such as uh, dates and emphasis on disguises and costumes and harvest decoration, the intention behind the practices are entirely different, and that's important, because intention is always important.
1: Right. I mean, if you look at Samhain as this, it was a serious pagan festival, but and the people that celebrated it were celebrated in true fear of the spiritual beings, that they were worshiping pretty much. But if if but if Samhain is pagan, then Halloween is like a Christian meme <laughs> on on Samhain. Right. I mean, it's intended to make fun of those same spirits that the pagans feared.
0: Well, so we're going to talk about that in some of this part right here, um, in this part of the article. Perfect segue. James Jordan in his article concerning Halloween expands on the intentions behind the practices of the Christian holy day of Halloween. He writes, The biblical day begins in the preceding evening and thus in the church calendar, the eve of a a day uh, is the actual beginning of the festive day. Christmas Eve is most familiar to us, but there's also the vigil of Holy Saturday that precedes Easter morn. Similarly, All Saints Eve precedes All Saints Day, which I already talked about. Uh, The concept, as dramatized in Christian custom, is quite simple on October 31st the demonic realm tries one last time to achieve victory but is banished by the joy of the kingdom what is uh, what is the means by which the demonic realm is vanquished in one word mockery exactly Satan's great sin and our great sin is pride thus to drive Satan from from us we ridicule him this is why the custom arose of of portraying satan in a ridiculous red suit with horns and a tail nobody thinks that the devil really looks like this right the bible teaches that he is a fallen arch cherub well debatable i've talked about him being a seraph but anyway that's neither here nor there Uh, rather the idea is to ridicule him because he has lost the battle with jesus and no longer has power over us The tradition of mocking Satan and defeating him through joy and laughter plays a large part in Ray uh, Ray Bradbury's classic novel, Something Wicked This Way Comes, which is a Halloween novel. The gargoyles uh, that was placed in the churches of old had the same meaning. They symbolized the church ridiculing the enemy. They stick out their tongues, and they make faces at those who would assault the church. Gargoyles are not demonic they are believers ridiculing the defeat uh, the defeated demonic army. Thus, the defeat of evil and the demonic powers is associated with Halloween. For this reason, Martin Luther posted his 95 challenges to the wicked practices of the church on the bulletin board on the day uh, on the day of the Wittenberg Chapel on Halloween. He picked his day with care, and ever since Halloween has been Reformation Day. Similarly, uh, in a similar way. On All Hallows Eve, Hallow Even, uh, Halloween, Halloween, uh, the custom arose on mocking the demonic realm. By dressing children in costumes. Exactly. Why? Because the power of Satan has been broken once and for all, and our children can mock him by dressing up like ghosts, goblins, and witches. The fact that we can dress our children this way shows our supreme confidence in the utter defeat of Satan by Jesus Christ. We have no fear. Once one begins to understand the origins of Halloween, it comes, becomes quite clear that there's some, nothing sinister happening here. Subversion and appropriation? Sure. Seeking to view everything, including the seasons, uh, the seasons in light of the Lordship of Christ? Absolutely. But accidental paganism? Not a chance. Right. These things are two entirely different beasts with two entirely different purposes and two entirely different origin stories. Right. I I mean,
1: most of the pagans that I've spoken to, they... I mean, I've heard them say that uh, Halloween was invented by capitalism and the candy companies, and I've heard them say that that it's just an absolute mockery of their culture. So, I mean, you'll be hard-pressed to find a pagan that will celebrate Halloween. Yeah. I mean, it's that... Disassociated. It's
0: pretty funny to me uh, in some ways. So it's... it's I mean, ba- that's
1: the whole point of the, the funny, goofy costumes, the, the silliness of it. Yeah. Is to uh, run around and make a mockery of these uh, fallen spiritual beings that were once worshipped and feared by the ancients, by the pagans. Yeah.
0: Um, if I'm not mistaken, there's actually a Jewish festival where they do similar stuff. I can't remember if it was Purim or what, but Purim, I think, was another added-in holiday in the Jewish calendar as well. Uh, Hold on a second. Maybe it wasn't. Hold on.
1: I mean, it's funny thinking about it now. I mean, Halloween, from our perspective, is literally a slap in the face to yeah, to paganism.
0: Yeah, Purim was was one of them. Uh, Yeah, I think it's Purim that there's like this big festival. Um, yeah, it's, it's Judaism's biggest party. It's similar in some ways to Halloween where they dress up and like kind of go crazy and that kind of thing. And so like, it's not unusual for cultures to have these types of right holidays. Like even the Jews had that. Mm-hmm. And Purim was something that was celebrated too. It's another one of those holidays that, um, it's, it's, uh, uh, In the book of Esther, Haman, it it comes with uh, Haman's defeat. Um, I think it's Mordecai is actually the one who establishes Purim as a holy day. But, again, it just goes to show that the church, the people of Israel, the family of Abraham, those who are of faith and have the faith of Abraham, we're sun, moon, and stars. We get to to be timekeepers. And with this particular holiday, what we are remembering is the defeat of the kingdom of darkness. And we are... are, um, Participating in God's mockery of them—that's what Psalm two teaches. That God sits in the heavens and He mocks. That the kings of the earth come together to try to. Uh, well it says they come to conspire, like against the Lord and His anointed. Like they're they're conspiring they conspire conspiracies right to to, conspiracies. Work, to 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 against the Lord and His anointed. Yep. But it says that He sits in heaven and laughs. He mocks. And so we share in his mockery of the forces of darkness. Because why? Because we are united to Jesus Christ by faith, united to the family of God, the family of Abraham by faith. So anyway, so now we'll move on here to our last section before the conclusion. And this section is the Lordship of Christ over the seasons. Now, at this point, I want to anticipate some arguments that I'm likely to sh- receive and to offer some counter-arguments. Some have argued that while it's okay for God to mock his enemies, it's unbiblical for Christians to mock Satan. However, the, promise, or the, the problem with this is that it does not take into account the fact that we have been united to Christ, Romans 5, 1-5, and that Christ is the Lord of everything, including the seasons and his enemies, Colossians 1, 15-23. Because of our union with him, we share in an organic union with him in the same way that the branches share it in an organic union with the vine. John 15, one through 8 I'm the vine, you're the branches. And in the same way that the body shares in an organic union with the head. Colossians one We are one. And also, because of our union with Christ, we also share in his rule and reign. Paul literally tells Timothy that we will reign with Christ. To Timothy... To 11 through thirteen, So then, if Christ mocks his enemies, and he does, then it follows that we also share in his mockery of them as well. And if he is Lord over the seasons, and he is, then it follows that we ought to do all that we can to subvert the kingdom of darkness and all that it does for the kingdom of light. So, I don't know if you've got anything you want to add to that first objection, but we've got a couple more following.
1: I'm good, let's keep going. Okay.
0: So a second argument that's offered and the most common objection to Christians celebrating Halloween is that Christians should have nothing to do with anything that may, may have the appearance of pagan overtones and connections. However, there is some problems with this argument as well. So the first problem is that it seeks to abandon things to the kingdom of darkness. Right. So it's basically saying that there are certain things that Christians shouldn't do because it looks dark, right? Um, and so it says it gives too much ground to the enemy, right? This is not the way that Christianity has historically functioned. Because of Christ's lordship over everything, Christians have always sought to bring all things under the feet of Christ, even pagan thought, right? if it could be redeemed. Now, there are certain things about pagan thought that are, uh, cannot be brought in and baptized, right? right. Like, like animal sacrifices and human sacrifices. That can't be baptized, right? So there are certain things we have to reject, but there are certain things that pagans say that are true, that can be brought in because right. all truth is God's truth and belongs to Christ.
1: I mean, I know we've been talking about Christ even being, by extension, a fulfillment of the pagan myth. If you look into uh, the harvest and winter festivals, the main ones in paganism, Samhain and Yule, yeah, the practices of bringing fire and evergreen into your home and keeping that fire through the night into the morning, yeah. I mean, it's a symbol of resurrection and life after death.
0: Yeah, that's yeah, and those aren't things that are inherently evil, right? Like those things can be tweaked and baptized, right? So,
1: and the early church definitely saw overlay there.
0: Yeah. And it may even be the case that the early church was doing some of this stuff and the pagan saw it and right. sought to take it. So interesting. So anyway, uh, so the way that Christianity has historically done this is through the paradigm of bless, baptize and burn. OK, so in practice, when Christianity encountered pagan thought that was true, it blessed it and accepted it for all truth is God's truth. When it encountered pagan thought that could be redeemed and used to extend the lordship of Christ, it baptized it and it accepted it. When it encountered pagan thought that could not be blessed or redeemed, it burned it and did not accept it. And I think as modern Christians, we don't typically think that way anymore.
1: Right. Right. And those early Puritan Protestants, when they burn something, they they go to the pyres with it. Oh, no doubt. Let's look at the witch trials. Yeah,
0: (laughs) literally. Uh, So commenting on this further... In his book Back to Virtue, Peter Kraft writes From the beginning, there were three different attitudes on Christians, uh, on the part of Christians to the pagan world in general. First was uncritical synthesis, and basically, uncritical synthesis means that there's nothing wrong with this, we can accept it uncritically. Two was critical synthesis. Which means okay, there's things here we need to be critical of that can't, that don't jive. But we can synthesize some of this if we tweak it or baptize it, right? And then right. the next one uh, was three critical and anti, or criticism, and anti synthesis. So it means we criticize it because it can't be brought in, and we don't synthesize it because it's incompatible with what we believe. So it's basically blessed, baptized, burn is where that's where it comes from. Right? Yeah. So, uh, Christian thinkers accepted either one, all, two, some, or three, none of the Greek ideals. But the greatest and mainstream Christians like Augustine and Aquinas took the second way, which was critical synthesis. So, basically, the point here with this argument is Christians have never looked at things in history and said, Oh, you know what? That's pagan. And because it's pagan, it's automatically false. The way that Christians, basically what Kraft is saying and what we're saying is that Christians historically, and we see this in the greatest thinkers like Aquinas and Augustine, what they did was whenever they encountered paganism, they didn't just seek to burn it or to accept it all, right? Right. What they wanted to do was they wanted to be critical of it. And but the things that were true, they wanted to bring those things in because Christ is in Him are hidden the treasures of knowledge and wisdom. All truth is His truth. So that's basically the part of that argument. All right. So the second issue with this argument is simply that this isn't what we see in Scripture. It appears that it wasn't just Augustine or Aquinas who took the second way, but even the apostles themselves. So the first example that I'll point you to can be found with the Apostle John and his use of the term logos or logos in Greek. If you were unaware, logos was a Greek pagan category that was used by the Stoics. The Stoics believed that there was a logos or an ordering principle to the world. The problem, however, is that the Stoics said that this logos or ordering principle was unknowable. John, however, in John 1, 1, through, uh, 1, 1, through 5, baptized this Greek pagan category by telling his readers that there indeed was a Lagos, who is the ordering principle of the world. However, contrary to what the Stoics said, the Lagos, who is Lord over all creation, is knowable because he has revealed himself by taking on flesh and dwelling among us, and his name is Christ Jesus." The second example of this can be fa- found in the apostle Paul addressing the Areopagus at Mars Hill in Acts 17:22 through 34. So basically, in this scene we see that Paul makes his way to the Greek Areopagus, he's standing in their midst, he's preaching the gospel, and he finds an altar with an inscription to the unknown god. So basically Paul takes this category Of the unknown God, he baptizes it and proceeds to tell them that the one whom they were worshiping without knowing was the true God, the Lord of heaven and earth, the God of Israel. So he critically synthesizes and quotes a semi-mythical poet named Epimenides and a Stoic philosopher named Cleanthes to drive his point home even further. Christ is Lord not only of the Hebrews but of the Greeks too. And he quotes their poet saying, it's just like their own poet said, in him... We live, move, and have our being, and we are his offspring. Now, the interesting thing about that is Paul is quoting from Cleanthes, and that was his hymn to Zeus. So Paul takes a hymn dedicated to Zeus and says, Oh, it's true. There is a deity in God in which we live, move, and have our being. But it's not Zeus. Right. It's Christ. It's the God of Israel. So here, basically is we see Paul taking Greek categories and Greek art, even here in Cleanthes and his artistry and his poetry. He takes and says, you're true. This is true. But it needs to have critical synthesis. You're right, but you're also wrong, is what he's saying. And so that's what Christians, again, have always historically done, right? So the third problem with this argument is that engaging uh, with things that may have pagan connections oh let me rephrase that the third problem with this argument is that engaging with things that may have pagan connections does not make one an accidental pagan right (laughs) this is just plain superstition right like if you could become an accidental pagan like believe me those of you who are shopping at walmart or at target or any other place that you shop yeah it's too late You're you're an accidental pagan by this point but let's let's say for the sake of argument that halloween is pagan and it's not as I've always demonstrated, as I've already demonstrated even if it were one cannot accidentally become a pagan any more than one can accidentally become a christian right can you accidentally become a christian no no it's not possible things just don't work that way as we said already intentions matter exactly. you can't be an accidental pagan So I hope after these few examples, it is clear that Christians should, uh, that if Christians should have nothing to do with anything that may have pagan overtones or connections, then John one, one through five and Paul's sermon at the Areopagus would not exist, but they do right in their scripture. However, (laughs) I say in the article, but however, they do exist. Basically what I just said. And because Christians over the centuries have taken the call of extending the Lordship of Christ seriously, This is a vocation we must pick back up. The crown rights of King Jesus must be proclaimed over every area of life, even the seasons. I don't think that's something we think about. We say all the time Christ is Lord, but we don't think he's the Lord of the seasons. Right. Because if we did, we would not give an ounce to the kingdom of darkness, and we would reclaim time and the seasons for Christ. So... And for these reasons, back to the article, and for these reasons, Christians can feel confident in baptizing ideas and concepts they come across for the purpose of extending Christ's lordship over every every area of life. All right, so that's the end of that section. Now we'll go to the conclusion. You got anything you want to add to that section before we move on to the conclusion?
1: I'm good, let's go to the
0: conclusion. All right, so then, that leaves us with the question, should Christians celebrate Halloween? Ultimately, I believe it's a matter of conscience.
1: I would go a step further and say yes. I, I think mean, yes
0: I, too. I part think of yes. me
1: thinks that it's even a tad maybe unchristian to not celebrate Halloween, given the categories we just laid out. I, I mean, think I think that
0: it definitely is. As if you're uh, giving time and season over to the kingdom of darkness,
1: like if you still have a fear yeah. of Halloween, I think that's a problem.
0: I think that. Um, if you're going to say, no, this belongs to the devil.
1: Honestly, I think your fear of mm. Halloween is more like Samhain oh. than what our Halloween is. Because it's the same thing. Ooh. I mean, they, they celebrate. they. Ooh, so their, Samhain,
0: they're doing right. Samhain out of fear right. of the spirits, so they're sacrificing things.
1: Samhain is out of fear. Uh, Halloween is out of faith.
0: Oh. That's really good.
1: That's really good. That's really good.
0: That would would preach. Yeah, I might steal that for Sunday. Um, That's really good. But um, no, you made an interesting connection there, which is basically that people made sacrifices during Samhain because they were afraid of something. And in some ways, that's what Christians are doing.
1: I mean, Halloween is freedom from spiritual oppression. I mean, that's exactly what it is. Yeah.
0: And so they're giving that up and sacrificing it out of fear of the spirits. Right. So it's actually, you're actually being more like the pagans yeah. than the Christians are. So that's, Ooh, that's really interesting. Um, so I, I would say that actually, I think that it could like, if you don't want to celebrate Halloween, that's one thing. Um, and it gets on my nerves. Christians who don't celebrate Halloween, but they celebrate Reformation day. Right. Like Luther was celebrating Halloween and all saints day,
1: but it's not celebrated it out of fear of the occult. Yeah, that, and, I think that that's sin. That's, that's the problem. Yeah. All that's,
0: right. Right doing anything out of fear like that I think is is not from faith. I mean
1: that's just giving reverence back. <laughs> well that's to the what that's beings. well that's what
0: I was about to say. That's that's where I think that this can become a sin issue because what you're doing at that point is you are abandoning the lordship of Christ over time to the pagans and to the kingdom of darkness and that's the sin here. Right, Saying that Christ is not lord over something here when exactly. he is. Yep. Abraham Kuyper said that there's not a square inch of creation that christ doesn't cry out mine it all belongs to him and so that's basically what i'm arguing here is that okay if you don't like halloween then come up with something better don't abandon the lordship of christ right. over time and to the pagans today
1: is it's just stigma i mean it's mm-hmm. delegating that time back yeah. to the i think that darkness. we well i
0: think that we've shown here that halloween is actually a good thing to celebrate because right. it's it is from the church like it's it's the church that that invented halloween and that's a legitimate thing as we've also talked about in this episode as i'm going to write in the book that i'm writing too but um so it says personally i have no issue celebrating halloween not only do i believe that it's a practical and effective way of extending the lordship of christ over the seasons but i also believe that it's a great way to live a life that's on mission okay so there's a missional element to halloween right. I'm, I'm i'm arguing and here's how. Halloween is one of the last communal holidays that we have in our culture. I mean, think about it. Especially in the age of COVID, right? like it's one of the last communal holidays that we have. It's not often that folks from the neighborhood come to our doors anymore. I mean, like I've asked people in our church. I was like, "When was the last time you knocked on your neighbor's door?" And they're like, "Never." Like we all just kind of stay to ourselves, right? I mean, even during Christmas, Christmas isn't... It's a familial holiday, but it's not a majorly communal holiday, right? Who is it you celebrate Christmas with? It's with your family. It's not with your community, right? Halloween is one of the last communal holidays that we have in our culture, right? It's not often that folks from the neighborhood come to our doors anymore. So we should view it as an opportunity to model gospel hospitality and ask questions like, do you know why we're celebrating this? You know? It's a great way to have conversations. This question leads us right into the heart of the gospel message, if we were willing to ask it to our neighbors, right? That Jesus took on flesh. He lived the perfect life that we could never live. He died for our sins. He rose again from the grave on the third day. And in doing so, he vanquished the kingdom of darkness by triumphing over his enemies and putting them in open shame. This is why we celebrate Halloween.
1: Exactly. If
0: you're just willing to ask that question to your neighbor, you have a clear shot at sharing the gospel of the kingdom with them. How many opportunities are you going to have that with your neighbors? Not many. As people who are united to Jesus, we are called to take part in his victory. It's not just Jesus's victory. It's also our victory as well, which you said earlier. It's freedom from the spirits, right? right. It's our victory as well. So with that in mind, let us tell our families the Christian History, And I can hear people just sizzling as I say that. Exactly. <laughs> Let us tell our families of the Christian history and the meaning of, of behind Halloween. Let's dress up. And I can hear more sizzling. Yep. Let's dress up. Let's mock the enemy. Let's sing imprecatory Psalms. Psalm 2 is a good one because it talks about God mocking his enemies. And let's remember the great cloud of witnesses made up of the saints who have passed on into the unseen realm before us. Let us model hospitality to our neighbors and let's invite them into the celebration too. You can come out of the kingdom of darkness and transfer it into the kingdom of light. Let's be Christians that do what Christians have always done for centuries, which is take ground for the kingdom. Happy Halloween. That's it. That's the end of the article. So you got any before we shut this episode down, you got anything else you want to add before we do that?
1: Not right off hand. I mean, I, th- I think it turned out a lot more in depth than we w- imagined to be set when we set out this morning. So I'm, yeah. I'm pretty happy with it.
0: Yeah, we're we're clocking in here at about 50 minutes on it. So, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I think that having the conversation and commenting on it actually went a lot better than just reading it and narrating it. Yeah, um, I think that w- I, this year doing that this year. We got to add in some more stuff that wasn't in there last year, like the the bit that's going to be in the book that I'm writing, Reenchanting Time. Um, I think that that was helpful um, in people, like because some people may admit they may say this. They say, "Yeah, okay, well, I can see that um, this is a Christian holiday," but they may say, "But the church doesn't have the authority to make holidays." Like, that's one argument that you hear majorly, like a lot, even in the Reformed community, is that the church does not have that kind of authority to declare holy days. And the interesting thing is, is if you understand biblical theology, they actually do. And that's a part of being the sons of God, being the sun, moon, and stars that Christ has fixed in the firmament heavens with him. Paul says we've been lifted up and raised with Christ into the heavenlies right why because we're the we're now the sons of god we're the sun moon and stars and as we saw earlier like god's people have always declared holy days like they did it in the old testament and it wasn't sinful jesus even participated in these holy days he 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 did hanukkah the festival of lights he would have done purim as well and there was nothing sinful about that so i feel like that that was a good addition to this that actually helped bolster and strengthen what we were saying here so well guys we hope that you enjoyed today's episode and i guess that's about it i don't guess we have anything else right
1: i think we covered it
0: all right guys well thank you so much for listening again and as always happy halloween happy halloween happy halloween we'll see you guys next time